0: ago and my dear friend who preached read the exact text i'm preaching from tonight i was very grateful to god they gave him a short amount of time to preach <laughs> he did a great job by the way your pastor's my friend tell him hello and the great church and i i love what you shared tremendous how many of you know when you're preaching a conference and somebody preaches before you you hope they stay away from your text I was preaching a few years ago <laughs> in a conference, I'll never forget it, in um, North Georgia. And I got up, and I was the first preacher that night, and I got up, announced my text, read my text, and preached. And honestly, I had a great time. I just enjoyed preaching that text, and, and the people seemed to enjoy it. I'm watching them, and they were right with me, and it was just a, one of those really sweet meetings. But I noticed that the man who's a friend of mine that was preaching second was seated off to my right. And he had a very strange look on his face. And the longer I preached, the more strange the look got. And this particular man is a real encourager. Every time you see him, he's just encouraging. And if if he's sitting in the crowd while you're preaching, he's nodding his head and saying amen. He's right there with you. He wasn't doing any of that. After a while, his smile turned into a scowl. And then in a little bit, I saw him furiously flipping through his Bible and writing out notes and he's he's studying he's working on a message and i thought man the spirit of god got a hold of him and giving him a word for the next hour i was excited about it and when i I finished i went down they had a fellowship time shaking hands but i saw him he was locked in on me he made a beeline across the church and he shook my hand pulled me up close to him got right in my ear he said i'm gonna kill you when this service is over and i said well i love you too i'm what's the problem? He said, you not only preached my text, you preached my theme, and you essentially preached my outline tonight. What's the chances of that happening? And when our brother announced the text, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm reaping now. I'm reaping. It's coming back to me. We're returning to Exodus chapter number 17 because I, I felt led of God these two days to concentrate on the life of Moses. I don't know of anybody in Scripture, I think, that gives a better example of equipping the next generation. And for the record, may I say this before we read our text? That wasn't always Moses' mindset. He had to learn it. I can prove it to you. Do you know what the first failure of Moses in the Bible was? There's there's a great fa- number of failures mentioned to Moses, but the first failure of Moses recorded in Scripture was one day he went out and he saw two men fighting, and he thought it was his job to straighten it out all by himself. So he killed one of the men, buried him in the sand. Uh, Acts gives a little commentary on that story in Exodus chapter 2. It says, He supposed that his brethren would have understood. Isn't that interesting? That he thought, This is my job and I'm going to fix it. You ever been there? and he thought everybody else would understand it. And instead, the Lord had to take him out on the backside of the desert in Midian for 40 years to teach him that it was not his job to operate and get ahead of God or do it without everybody else. It was his job to operate under God and alongside everybody else. In fact, I think he he went through 40 years of God, excuse me, knocking the snot out of him so that he would understand it was not his way, it was God's way that matters. And that's why the book of Numbers tells you that Moses is the meekest man that ever lived. Imagine a man who thought he could fix the whole situation by one act and that he was in charge of that, turning all the way around and becoming the most humble, teachable, meek man recorded in all of Scripture. You know what did that? God brought him to the end of himself. And repeatedly, God is bringing all of us The end of ourselves. So we come to Exodus 17 to verse number 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. This is one of the great battle scenes of the Bible. And Moses said unto Joshua, Everybody, take your pen out. You're going to need it all night tonight. So might as well go ahead and get your pen, pencil, borrow one, steal one, prick your finger and write in blood, whatever you've got to do. Find you something. Because I want you to mark some things in the Bible tonight. I want you to mark verse number 9. Moses said unto Joshua, because this is the first time that Joshua takes a prominent role in all of Scripture. You know, uh, the first mention of a thing or a person in the Bible is always very significant. And I find it striking that the first time Joshua it really comes to the forefront is in one of the battle scenes of the Bible. Brethren, may I remind you tonight, we are in a war. We're on the front lines of a war. If you hadn't noticed, the spiritual opposition temperature has been ratcheted up a good bit here in the last few years. The good news is the battle is always hottest just before it's won. And here they are in the battle. And of all the men near Moses, he's surrounded by strong, able men. But of all the men, the Bible says, Moses said to Joshua. Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. Look at verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. Everybody connect the first phrase of verse 9 to the first phrase of verse 10. In verse 9, Moses is doing his part, and in verse 10, Joshua is doing his part. I want to say to you tonight, Moses needs Joshua, and Joshua needs Moses. The older generation needs the younger generation. If we don't have the younger generation, I see these young people over here tonight, and I'm glad you're here. I want you to know, if an older generation doesn't have a younger generation, then we have no one to pass it off to. It will all die with us, and we will dead end the Christian faith. But I want you to know the young people who are here tonight They need the older generation because without the the wisdom and experience and insight of those who've been down the road a little further than you have, you won't know which direction to go. God often sets men in pairs in Scripture. I think the New Testament parallel to Moses and Joshua is Paul and Timothy. But again and again, God says, it's not good for a man that he be alone. Two are better than one. If one falls, the other one picks the other up. And so we're working with each other, not against each other. God designed it so that the Moses generation would pass something on to the Joshua generation, and the Joshua generation would receive it from the Moses generation, carry the same baton in their leg of the relay race, and then pass it on to the generation coming along behind them. And if at any point we fail to receive it, run with it, or relay it, we have failed in our race. I think one of the satanic strategies in our day is to get an older generation and a younger generation so disconnected they cannot even communicate to one another. I, per- I really mean this. I'm choosing my words carefully. I think it's a satanic strategy. Because, see, the enemy is wily. He understands that if he can disconnect the generations and the old men can't pour into the young men or the young men are closed to the old men, then truth will not be passed down from generation to generation like God always intended. Which generation do you think you're a part of? In a sense, we're all Moses. In a sense, we're all Joshua. There's stages and seasons in life and ministry. Let's just take a survey, all right? I'm not going to tell you whether you're young or old. That's your business, all right? How many of you think you've come to a threshold in life where you're more part of the Moses generation? Would you raise your hand, please? Well, I want you to know you've got a big job. And by the way... I'm looking at some people right now, and some of you think, Well, I'm I'm near the end of the race, and I'm a little older now, and the Lord's finished with me. My friend, if you're still breathing, God's not finished with you. So don't you die before you die. And don't you quit before God is finished with you. If there's still breath in your body, if you're still on this earth, there's still a Joshua God wants you to invest in until your dying day. How many of you would say, Preacher, I think I'm more on the front end of it. I think I'm more of the Joshua generation. Would you raise your hand, please? That's wonderful. It's encouraging to see all of you in this meeting tonight. But I want you to know something. If you look, please, if the young people get an attitude against the old people that they don't understand or the old people get an attitude against the young people that they're not interested, I want you to know at that moment there's a breakdown in communication and one of the links in the chain has been broken. You may be the first link in the chain. You may be the last link in the chain. Just don't be the missing link in the chain. Because there's a chain reaction, you see. There's a a ripple effect to the Christian faith, which means all of us have our place and all of us must do our part. Why am I bringing it to Exodus chapter 17? We're not going to stay here. In fact, a little unusual for me, usually, I stay in one scripture the whole time. I'm not going to do that tonight. In fact, I'm going to make a list with you of the places where we see the interactions between Moses and Joshua because it's my conviction that each one of these are given to us, divinely inspired of the Holy Spirit, to show us the need of the next generation. They don't just need something. They need what God says they need. And I believe... This model of Moses and Joshua reveals to us what the needs of the next generation are. So what are they? Well, let's start with this one. Number one, would you write it down? Make your little list tonight. In Exodus 17, first mentioned battle scene. Number one, the next generation needs to see God in the battle. Not just to understand there is a battle. They need to see God in that battle. You start out, you're young. (laughs) You're full of idealism. Isn't that true? Life's going to be perfect. It's all going to be grand. And then you deal with reality. One of the great dangers in life is the idealism of youth becomes the cynicism of old age. My life verse, Acts 20, 24, is really something that I, I pray for myself. I want not just to finish my course. I'd like to finish my course with joy. I've actually prayed, Lord, keep me from becoming a sour old man. I don't want that. I don't want to just finish on the right side. I'd like to finish on the bright side. Any of you with me on that? But sometimes the battles will take it out of you. And you've got to learn, look, please, that the battles aren't going away. The stresses and strains and struggles of life are part of it. Everybody's got their junk to deal with. Nobody has a perfect situation. Social media has done us a great disservice in in promoting comparison kind of living where you look at somebody else's life through through the filtered lens that they want you to see and you start thinking everybody else's situation is perfect. Let me just tell you, nobody has a perfect situation. Tell you what I learned from my kids. You hold the camera at the right angle, take 45 pictures, and use the right filter. You can look good anytime. But that's not life. And some of you right now are in the battle for your marriage. You're in the battle for children. You're in a battle for your church. You're in a battle for your mind. You're in a battle for your emotions. You're in the battle of life. And I want you to know it is not after the battle that you find the victory. It is in the midst of the battle that you find the victory. And I think this is beautiful. Joshua's going to have to lead them into the promised land, fight a whole lot of battles. So where does God really introduce him to it in Exodus chapter number 17? Look at at it carefully. Verse number 11 and verse number 12, Moses is up there praying, and Joshua's down in the valley. Look at verse 13. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And look at verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Write this. For a memorial in a book. How many of you are glad God writes a book? And look at the next phrase carefully, verse 14, and rehearse it. In the ears of who, please? Do you know what Joshua needed in that battle? Joshua needed to understand that there's going to be conflict. In fact, the book of Lamentations says it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. I think we've almost we've almost created a situation now where we try not to put too much on young people because we think, well, we don't know if they hold up under it or not. Brother, I'm going to tell you something. Our grandparents' generation were marching off to war when they were 17 years of age and paying the ultimate price, and we've pampered and petted on another generation so long we've created a weak-kneed, anemic, run-of-the-mill kind of Christianity that's not going to stand up when the persecution comes. C.T. Studd. C.T. Tim Priscilla turned to Collins upside down for God. He wrote an amazing little book called The Chocolate Soldier. You ever read The Chocolate Soldier? C.T. Studd said, we've raised a whole generation of soldiers who are not good soldiers of Jesus Christ to endure hardness. They're chocolate soldiers. They look really good, and they're sweet, but when the heat comes, they all melt. That's about right. The Bible says it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. I remember one day in Knoxville. Working with Brother Sexton, he invested so much in me. I talk about him all the time. I was having a hard day. I was having a hard day. I was scheduled to go somewhere and preach that night, and we were dealing with some things, and just heavy, just heavy. And, and I, I, I slipped into the main auditorium because I wanted to be by myself for a few minutes. Went to the church campus, slipped into the main auditorium, and found a pew and sat down in that huge auditorium over by myself, and I thought, nobody will find me in here. And I was just sulking a little bit, you know, and trying to figure it out. The door opened, and here came Pastor across the way. He was headed to a little studio room, a little place, recording studio, and headed to record something. And he saw me, and he came over, and he sat down. He knew a little bit about what I was dealing with that day, and he just sat there for a minute. And then he said to me, Aren't you supposed to go someplace and preach tonight? And I said, Yes, sir, and told him where. He sat there for a minute. I'll never forget what he said. It stayed with me all these years. He said, You know... You're probably sitting in here thinking, if you didn't have that junk to deal with today, didn't have those problems to have to deal with, that you could really concentrate on that sermon and you'd really be ready to preach tonight and be much easier to minister tonight if you didn't have all those problems to deal with. I said, come to think of it, that was what I was sitting in here thinking. And I will never forget what he said to me next. He said, Scott, he got a little emotional. He said, Scott, he said, when you stand to preach tonight, he said, you'll preach as a different man than if you didn't have these problems. He said, these problems are not burdens. They're God's gifts to you today. He said, because tonight when you stand to preach, you will stand to preach not out of your ability to speak or your freshness. You'll stand tonight and speak out of the overflow of the grace of God that you've had to know yourself today. See, look, look at me now. It's not a wedge between you and God not unless you let it be. It's prod to drive you nearer to God. Joshua, battles are going to come. That's not bad. That's good. But here's the great news. You're on the winning side. Do you know what Joshua needed to learn in the valley? He needed to learn God answers Prayer. He needed to have rehearsed to him again and again. By the way, this is not the only time he heard it. Because according to verse number 14, when they had some other hard battles, Moses must have pulled the book out and said, Hey, Joshua, let's just read the journal here again today. We all need to stir ourselves up by way of remembrance and be reminded, it's not Moses' power, it's not Joshua's power, it is the power of Almighty God. Our victory is in the Lord alone. As a matter of fact, you come to the end of the battle... And they built an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi, literally, the Lord our banner. Aren't you glad? Look, somebody said, what banner are you marching under, brother? I'm marching under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the captain of this army, and it's a pretty good army to be a part of. And young men don't need to be sheltered from it. They need to be reminded the battle is real, but God is greater than all. Let's go to a second one. Come over with me just a few pages to chapter number 24. You're still in Exodus, right? Come to Exodus chapter 24. Let me give you another one. Look at verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there. I love that. God's call is always an upward call, the ever-ascending life. Come up to me. Be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And look at Exodus 24 and verse number 13. And Moses rose up. And his what? And this is very interesting. Don't miss the Holy Ghost word here. His minister, Joshua. And Moses went up into the Mount of God. How many of you would like to have gone up in the Mount with Moses to meet God for 40 days? Somebody said, Oh, I can't imagine. What a privilege that must have been. Well, let me tell you what he did. He washed Moses' feet and cared for all the peripheral things. Now, this is really fascinating to me. This is after the valley. This is after the big, the big victory that God just gave them. But the Bible doesn't say Joshua the soldier. It says Joshua the what? Yeah, literally Joshua the servant. Do you know the second thing that the next generation needs to learn? Not only that God shows up in the battle, the next generation must learn that service is wonderful work. When you're serving the Lord, it's high work and holy work and happy work. He's not Moses and he's not the priest. He's not even one of the elders in this chapter. He's just a young man, but he's starting out serving the Lord. And you know what we need? We need to raise a whole generation to realize that the greatest privilege on earth is the privilege to serve Jesus Christ, to give your life to God and let God do more with your life than you ever could. I was twelve, almost thirteen years of age, God called me to preach, and just a kid preacher in the hills of West Virginia, and some people were kind to me and very patient. Preachers would have me come and speak, and they they were nice. They're just they're trying to help a kid, you know. I preached one of my first sermons, actually my first sermon, not the first sermon behind a pulpit, but the first time I ever spoke. I spoke in Mr. Miss Logan's house. I'll never forget that. And he was, he was dying of cancer. They had a cottage prayer meeting and he was dying. And, and it was all senior citizens. They were all sitting in a big semicircle around the room. And I stood in front of the front door. It looked like the Sanhedrin I was talking to, you know. And, and I spoke for a few minutes. It was pitiful. It was kind of pitiful. subject was great because it gave him the Bible. The delivery was not so hot. I preached on the Holy Spirit. What on earth was I doing preaching on the Holy Spirit? When I got finished, all those little grandmas got up, came up, and got in line, hugged my neck, told me, that was the greatest sermon we've ever heard. They lied. That's what they did. And I remember those first sermons. And I remember weeping through many of them. I was just, I was, it wasn't just that I was nervous. I was overwhelmed that God would let me serve him. It was just, man, you mean... You mean I get to serve Jesus? You mean I get to give my life to God? You mean the Lord could do something with my life? I'm going to tell you what happens if you're not careful. After a while, you get professional. And the sermons get a lot better, but you, you become mechanical ministers and you forget the joy of serving Jesus. And you get over the wonder of it and the awe of it all. Look, Moses, don't you ever forget the greatest joy in your life is the joy of serving Jesus Christ. And Joshua, don't you miss this lesson. You must learn it. It's not titles. It's not offices. It's not publicity. It's not what somebody says about you. It's none of that. It is that you get to be the servant of the Most High God. You know Moses' favorite title for himself? The servant of the Lord. I mean, most of us, if we had been Moses, on our, on our social media bio, it would have been leader of several million Jews, you know. No. Don't get so worked up about who you're over. Remember who you're under. You know the recurring phrase in Moses' life? He did as the Lord commanded him. By the way, this is a liberating way to live. Young and old, listen to me right now. Greatest way to live is this. You just listen to God, and whatever God says, do that. You don't please everybody. You can't please everybody. You can't go everywhere, do everything, be what everybody wants you to be. You don't have to. Praise God. You don't have to do that. You just have to do what God tells you to do. It's the need of every generation. Keep traveling with me, would you please? Come on over a few more pages to chapter 32. Here's a third thing the next generation needs. Chapter 32, you talk about a high holy moment a moment ago up on the mountain. Now they're coming off the mountain. It's not so, so wonderful now. Look at Exodus 32. Moses and Joshua, use a little sanctified imagination when you read the Bible. Put yourself in their sandals. Walk off the mountain with them. They've been up here with God for 40 days listening to the Lord, and they hear something. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. He said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf. Remember the golden calf and the dancing? And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf. You talk about it, upset. Look at verse 20. He took the calf which they had made, and burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, strawed it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. That is not a church meeting you want to be at. And you know what struck me? Joshua watched all that. Write the third thing down, would you? The next generation needs to witness the seriousness of sin. We live in a world where we become so desensitized to sin and so much idolatry, excuse me, so many golden calves everywhere, somewhere we've got to get back to preaching what the Bible says and exalting the holiness of God and reminding people what sin is. There'll be no repentance apart from preaching on sin. There'll be no revival apart from preaching on sin. There'll be no no salvation apart from preaching on sin. There'll be no people called back to God apart from preaching on sin. And I'll tell you what has to happen. They need to see a little righteous indignation. Now let me pause and give a footnote to this. And The next generation does not need to see fleshly anger. We've had too much of that. I'll remind you what James wrote. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Listen to me. You can get all worked up about politics and get so angry and get in the flesh. And I want to just tell you, your flesh isn't any better than their flesh. Religious flesh isn't more spiritual. So we're not talking about us getting ticked off about something and riding on a hobby horse and driving something in the ground and beating people over the head. That's not it at all. Joshua witnessed a holy man of God who'd been in the presence of Almighty God, the Shekinah glory cloud of God in the mount. He's holding the law in his hands and he comes down and sees the idolatry of God's people and it smites him at his heart and now he weeps over what God weeps over and he hates what God hates and he's angry over what makes God angry. I'm telling you, you get the heart of God you start seeing like God sees and thinking like God thinks and feeling like God feels dear Lord give us the heart of God again and I tell you the next generation needs to stop laughing their way to hell and enjoying all the pleasures of sin for a season and forgetting the judgment of God is to come somebody has to get angry over what the devil has done in this generation and preach the Bible again and let the next generation hear the truth of almighty God this is the need of every Joshua. Turn a page. You're close. Come over, please, to chapter 33. They go back to the mountain. and Back to the presence of God and then back to the tabernacle and look, please, at verse number 11 of Exodus 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. That's sweet, isn't it? I love this. As a man speaketh unto his friend. Hmm. Dear Lord, I want to be your friend. And he turned again into the camp, but I love this. His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, just in case you're wondering, it's the same guy, he says, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Do you see the picture? Joshua goes with Moses everywhere he goes. So Moses made a lot of trips out there before, and Joshua goes with him again. But this time's different. This time, when they go into the tabernacle. This time, when they go into the presence of God. This time, when they go into worship and communion. This time, when they go into hear from the Lord. Moses gets finished and goes back to camp. And Joshua says to the old man, if it's all right with you, sir, I'd like to just stay here in the presence of God for a little while. You know what happened? He got personal to him. You young people, listen to me. You're not going to heaven because your mom and daddy know God or your grandparents are in church or somebody else told you you're a Christian. You must know God for yourself. And you can't live on yesterday's manna and you can't serve on yesterday's power. And it's not enough for us to talk about the good old days and the history of God's work. Every generation must come to know God for themselves. What's the great need? Would you write it down? Number four, the next generation needs to experience the presence of Christ themselves. Enter in, not just not just the God of Moses, my God. When was the last time you prayed with somebody and you knew they really knew how to talk to God? Years ago, I was preaching in Alabama. A great uncle of mine named Eustace, who's up in his 90s now, a preacher and his wife came to see us and took us back to their house and. That was one of the standout times in my life where I have been in a room with somebody that had been with God. I was just a young, young preacher starting out and full of myself, and and we talked for an hour. He just poured into me. He was equipping the next generation. That's what he was doing. And at the end of the hour, I said, "Uncle Eustace, I gotta go. Gotta go back to the camp. Got a meeting." And and he said, That's, "I understand." He said, "Can we pray before you go?" "Oh, sure. Sounds spiritual, you know." And I got down on one side of the bed. We were sitting in a little secondary bedroom. ladies were in the living room talking. And I got down on one side of the bed, and Uncle Eustace got down on the other. And, and I'll never forget, he said, you pray first, and I'll, I'll close our prayer. And I said, all right. And, and I launched into a prayer. Brother, was it a beautiful prayer. No, I'm serious. It was, it was, it was a classic. I wish you could have heard it. I mean, I had connected all these beautiful religious cliches so perfectly. It just, I thought, I was, that was good. That was a good prayer. And when I fi- finished and said amen, it was quiet in that room, buddy. In fact, it was quiet so long, I thought the old fellow had got nothing left. I opened my eyes. He was there all right. I can see him right now across the bed, face down towards the bed. Tears streaming off of his cheeks. And after several moments, I don't know how long, several moments, perfectly quiet, I heard him say one word. I just heard him say, Father. I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm just telling you the way it was. At that moment, it was like I was a million miles away, and God was sitting on that bed, and he was just having a talk with the Lord. I'd never heard anybody pray like that before. He wasn't trying to impress me. just talking to God and the longer he prayed (laughs) the more under conviction I got he prayed for me man did he pray no show in it When we finished I hugged him said goodbye went down got my wife got in the car never forget it we're driving down that little lane dusty road and I didn't say anything for a long while, and finally Tammy said to me, something happened to you? I said, yes. She said, what? I said, I don't know. Not sure exactly how to even put in words. All I know is that old man back in that farmhouse has something I need. That man knows God. We don't need more education. We don't need more resources and tools. We need a generation that knows God. Where are the men and the women and the young people who've been into the presence of the thrice holy God and said, this is what I want? You don't rush into the presence of God, and when you get there, you don't rush out. The next generation must learn to enjoy the Lord again. Come on over to Numbers real quick. We'll be swift about it. Look at Numbers chapter 11. I've been there earlier today, so I won't belabor the point. Joshua wants to, wants to reprove a couple fellows who've been prophesying. In verse 29, Moses said to him, "Envious thou for my sake? Would God all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Would you write this one down, number five? The next generation needs to discover that God's work is bigger than them. We're all pretty small-minded. Let's just be real. Let's use a deep theological term. We're all pea brains. That's what we all are. Compared to the infinite God, we think so small. We see so little of what God is doing. And one of the things that's been really good for me in traveling so much is to realize how big the work of God is. And there's a lot of people out there we've never met. We're going to meet them together in heaven. That's going to be nice, isn't it? Who are faithful to the gospel and lifting up Jesus and being used to the Lord. Pray that God would send many more laborers into his harvest. We're not trying to build our thing. We're praying Christ will build his church and we just get to be a part of it. The next generation needs to understand that the work of God is just that. It's God's work and not ours. And the Lord can do with it and with whom what he will And it may not always be in a way that I understand, but I rejoice when God uses any of us, and I marvel that God would let any of us serve him. What a Savior we have. Sixth one. Come on in Numbers Numbers chapter 13 for a moment. Now stay with me just a second. Numbers 13, verse 8, there's a list of all these people, these representatives of the tribes. Look at verse 8, of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea the son of Nun. That's, that's Joshua's old name. But look at verse 16. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. Did you ever notice that Moses is the one who really renamed Joshua? That's interesting, isn't it? We call him Joshua because Moses said, your name's going to be Joshua. See, in the Bible, when they changed people's names, it was because God was changing their nature. You're not Abram anymore. Abram means high father, but we're not lifting you up anymore. God's going to work through your life. You're Abraham. You're father of many nations. Hey, Simon, you think you're big stuff, don't you? You think you're strong. Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a real rock out of you. You'll be Simon Peter because I'm going to work through your life in an unusual way in the early church. Changing names, changing nature. Look at it carefully. Would you mark Jehoshua? That's Joshua. And write in the margin of your Bible, that means Jehovah is salvation. I love this. Moses could give him the name, but Joshua had to believe on Jehovah for himself. Would you write this down? The next generation has to learn to exercise their own faith in God. I'm grateful for my grandpa's generation. My, my granddaddy died when he was 57. He was just a country preacher. That's what he was. He, he had no education. He had very little cooth, to be honest with you. He was rough around the edges. He was, he was, a, he was a wild man preacher. But he had God on him. He got up preaching one night in a church, got carried away, and said, Bless God, there's two things no church needs. That's a clock on the wall and a busy bodied woman, and this church has got both of them. That wasn't a good thing to say at all. And he didn't stay long in that church either, let me tell you. He's a little rough around the edges. But you know what he did? He lived by faith. I, right now, if in our region of the country, I meet people everywhere I go who say, "Your grandpa led me to Jesus. Your grandpa started our church. He didn't have anything. When he died, you know what? The, you know what his inheritance was when he died? It's taped in the family Bible at my dad's house. Three pennies. That's what he had to his name, literally. Three pennies. Dad told all of his siblings, "Don't argue over the inheritance. I'm keeping all of it." And he did. All three pennies of it. Somebody said, "Well, that's sad. That's what he left." Oh no, that's not what he left. He left. A testimony of a man who feared God. The lions are falling unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I'm grateful that generation believed God. And I'm glad my dad and mommy had faith faithfully trusted the Lord through the years but I want to tell you it's my turn and it's your turn because every generation has to believe God for themselves one of the worst things that happens in a church is one generation believes God and prays and sacrifices and labors and presses forward and sees something great done for the Lord and another generation of Joshua's come along behind them and never pay the price and never learn to sacrifice and never pray and never labor and never press forward I tell you when we start maintaining and stop moving forward we have dead ended the work of faith in our lives at this stage in my life I'm starting to realize that at every age in life God will give you something you have to faith him for I really I really thought at some point all the big decisions would be over and all the hard things would be behind me and it'd just be kind of smooth sailing I'm starting to realize now at every juncture in life there's going to be something I got to trust God for And that's not bad. That's good because the just shall live by his faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me tell you what God honors and blesses. God always honors and blesses faith. And that means the next generation must learn to believe God for themselves as a dad. One of the things God has taught me is that I have taken the hands off the life of my children at a certain time and let them believe God for themselves. I can't I can't meet their needs. I'm not supposed to meet their needs forever. God will meet their needs, and they'll have to believe the Lord like we believe the Lord. The next generation must learn to live by personal faith. By the way, if I had time, I'd walk you through numbers and show you. The, this same repetition is found several times of, of Joshua, and then you got Joshua and Caleb. Everybody remember that? And Joshua and Caleb, and Joshua and Caleb. Then it switches, and it's... It is Joshua's name first, originally it's Caleb's name first, and then it's Joshua's name first. But those were the two men that were known as men of faith of those original spies. You remember that? May I say to you, most people in the church won't live by faith, they'll live by sight. Most people in the ministry don't even live by faith. A lot of people in the Lord's work aren't living by faith. But in in the room, in the group, among the spies, among the twelve, there's always somebody that says, you know what, I want everything God has for me. So I'm not going to live by force. I'm going to live by faith. And I'll tell you, that's where the victory is really won. One more thing and I'll be done. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go all the way to the end of the story. You know Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter of the Bible Let me show you something. Hebrews 11, we'll come back to this tomorrow night, but in verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. Verse 28, through faith he kept the Passover. And then you come to verse 29. Now this is striking to me. Joshua's name's not here. I don't know that Joshua was the man that Moses was, and it's certainly not as prominent in Scripture and not as emphasized by the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Look, some some of the Lord's servants are more behind the scenes than others. Not not all of them get the same press, isn't that right? Until we all can do, we all can believe God. So look at verse number 29. By faith, what's the next word, class? I didn't hear you. By faith what? Now, would you mark in verse 28 through faith he. And verse 29, mark by faith they and tell me, has anything changed here? Yeah, we we've moved from it being a single man believing God to now they. There's a whole nation of people believing the Lord and Joshua is the one at the head of the pack. Where did he learn that kind of faith in God? Would you write down a seventh and final thing? The next generation needs to see a demonstration of faith in our lives. Yes, they need to believe God for themselves, but they're going to need to see a demonstration of it in our lives. I, I wish you'd think on this too. It's not just the positive we learn from, it's the negative. Do you think Joshua learned anything from Moses' lapse of faith when he got angry and hit the rock? We learn from the faith and the failures. I'd started helping with some of the finances in the college, and <laughs> it was dead of summer. When you have schools, you know everything kind of grinds to a halt on the revenue stream, and, and but things bills have to be paid. And it was the dead of summer, and we got a we got a bill, and they said it has to be paid this week. It was a it was a light bill or something for thirty thousand dollars. That's a light bill right there. Thirty thousand dollars. I'll never forget. I went to the finance office, and I said, "Can you tell me what's in?" The countdown, it was nothing. I mean, it was piddly. Certainly not that much. And I did what every good staff member does. I called the pastor. I need to tell the pastor. And I said to the pastor, Preacher, we got a massive bill. It had a delay in it. It just came through. No fault of ours, but they're saying it has to be paid. It has to be paid immediately. How much is it? $30,000. How much do we have? I told him. He said, Okay. And I said, no, I, I don't, I don't, maybe it wasn't clear. It, it's due tomorrow. It's $30,000 and we don't have it. He said, I, I heard, I understand. And I said, preacher, I don't know what we're going to do. And I started da, 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 da. and I'll never forget. He said to me, God knows where we are. The Lord's always met our needs. It'll all be fine. I'll just pray. I'll never forget. He said, call me tomorrow. I'm thinking tomorrow, we got to do something today. I went home. He probably slept that night. I tossed and turned all night long. (laughs) Next day, I said to the people at the office, I said, I'm going to go check the mail today. They said, you're going to the post office? I said, yes. I'll be back in a little bit. I went with great faith, you know, hoping for lots of mail. I got there, and there's a little tiny bin with just a handful of envelopes in the bottom of it. And I thought, Lord, help us. We're in trouble. And I went back to the finance office, I'll never forget it, and set the, set the thing up on the desk, and I said to Rosemary, I said, hand me a letter opener. She said, excuse me? I said, hand me a letter opener. I said, we're going to open the mail together today. And she's opening envelopes on one side, and I'm opening envelopes on another. And there's $100 here and $200 there. And I, my, my faith's doing this. you know. And I opened a, an envelope and pulled out a note from somebody we didn't know and it said this I'm writing on behalf of and said a lady's name said she believed in the work there of training preachers and she said when she died she wanted a certain percentage of whatever was left to be sent there for the training and furthering of the gospel work and to meet whatever needs the college had and and uh, the estates finally been settled and enclosed please find a check for $31,000 Now, that doesn't mean much to you right now sitting here. But I'm going to tell you what I did. I grabbed that check and took off down the hallway at the Christian Heritage Center shouting. Nobody else in the building. I was having a good time. I walked past George Mueller's picture, and I I, I said out loud, You're not the only one who gets answers to prayer. (laughs) It did something for me. God met us there. I called Pastor. He said, I knew the Lord would take care of it. I'm like, come on now. He said, Scott, he said, we've seen that so many times. But see, you, you can't just hear about that. You've got to experience it. You've got to get out there where you've got to believe God for something. Old Dr. Keene said to me a few years ago. He said, Scott, he said, Moses had a Joshua, so there's a book of Joshua. Is that right? I said, yes. He said, well, I wonder if Joshua had had a Joshua if maybe there wouldn't have been a book of Judges. I said, well, that's a good thought. You do wonder at some point in the whole thing where the breakdown was. I know this. Every Moses needs a Joshua, and every Joshua needs a Moses and I wonder what is it God's put in you that the next generation desperately needs. Our Father, I thank you for the word of the living God, for the Holy Spirit who is our preacher. And I pray tonight you'll do something in our hearts that will further the work of God. Whew, dear Lord, Show us thy presence and power. Bring us near to thyself. And let us lead others to thee. We sit quietly, prayerfully before the Lord with our heads and hearts bowed. How many of you know you're saved and you're glad? Would you raise a hand to God? Are you glad you're saved? I must ask this question. I don't want to take it for granted on this Monday night. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, Preacher, I don't know that I've ever personally put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. I'm not positive I'm saved, but I don't want to go to hell. I'm concerned about my soul, and I'm not sure I'm ready to meet God like I am. Preacher, pray for me. I really need to settle my salvation with the Lord. Would you raise your hand in the air with mine long enough for me to see it and acknowledge it? And take it back down and say, pray for me, preacher. I'm looking carefully in every section. Pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. Anybody at all like that, pray for me. And best I can tell, I'm speaking to believers, so let's get down to it. Right to business. I have two questions, and we'll pray. Here's the first. You may not be old, but how many of you tonight would say in this room, preacher, a lot's been put into me. Others have invested in me and instructed me. And tonight I'm sitting here convicted that I need to pass it on. I've got to find me a Joshua. I've got to find me somebody that I can pour into. And I want to ask God to give me somebody. Maybe you already have someone, but I'm going to ask God to give me somebody and use me and help me take it more seriously than ever before to pass it on. You say, that's me. Pray for me. Raise your hand big and high, would you please? If that's you, stand to your feet right now. Just say, that's me. That's what I want. I want to not just be glad I have it and be grateful I want to pass it on. Remain standing just a moment. Here's the second question. How many of you in this room would say, Preacher, I'm at a you may be a young person, or you may not be so young. Maybe you're just young in the faith. You may be a young Christian or a new member. It may be that you're early on in your walk with Jesus, but you say, Preacher, I feel like I'm I'm part of Joshua's generation on the receiving end. And what I need to do is be more open to be taught, to be instructed, because I want to grow and mature so I can be ready to influence others. I want to have the right attitude towards the Lord and towards those who are giving us God's word. Preacher, that is me. Pray, pray that I'll be like Joshua, ready for whatever the Lord wants to say to me. Would you raise your hand big and high in there with mine right now? If you mean it, stand to your feet right where you are. Just take your stand for the Lord tonight before God and us. And say, so that's me. That's what I want. I want all God has for me. God bless you. I want all of you that are standing, lift your head and look at me. I want you to know, if, if just this group right here would get serious about the connecting of generations, there is no telling what God could set in motion tonight that we would meet in heaven someday. And I'm going to ask you right now as she begins to play, would you leave your place and come tell God what you just told me? Just come and find your place here to pray. Bring yourself to the Lord. Bring your Joshua to the Lord. Come and say to God tonight, Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to work in me. I want you to work through me. I don't want to miss my part in your plan.